Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. First is Psalm 122 it's for its entirety. It'll be on page 966 on the uh, Pew Bibles. So please uh, go ahead. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Next passage is John 2, verses 18 to 22, and that is on page 1649. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body, and he was raised from the dead. His disciples recalled what he had said. Then they had believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Over to our esteemed friend, Andrew. Thanks, Nick. Esteemed friend. That's, that's really nice, man. That's, that's, thank you so much. Um, hi, my name's Andrew. Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is my first time here for 2020. It's actually, man, it's, I've had a couple of weeks off from uh, here. It's really, really, really good to be back. Um, if you're wondering where Simon, Simon is on, on like a two-week sabbatical. He'll be back next week. For now, the time being, you are stuck with me. I'm one of the elder candidates here, um, extending the, the welcome of all the other elders. Uh, if you're new here, if it's your first time here, if you're relatively fresh, welcome. Uh, I would love to connect with you. I'll be at the back at the end. Uh, I'd love to chat, get you plugged in. If you all have questions about the church or whatever, please, let, let's chat. If you're a non-Christian or um, you're just trying to find out what this Christianity thing is about, welcome to you too. Love that you're here in this space. Again, would love to chat afterwards. Um, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, we are in the middle of our summer uh, summer sermon summer sermon series. That's a tongue twister. Summer sermon series called Pilgrim People. It's based on the what we call the Songs of Ascent, and that's found in Psalms 120 to 134. And today we're actually continuing. This is number three or four. Uh, of this particular series. So, so just to recap a little bit, if you want to have a listen back, it's on our podcast as well, but um, in our first week, Simon talked uh, us through Psalm 120, and he essentially talked about, uh, uh, he, he guided us through the psalmist confronting distress and the tedium of life, and he was asking God for deliverance. Um, if you were here last week, uh, we had the pleasure of listening to Mark Bolas. He guided us through Psalm 121, and he continued the thought of the continued on with the thought of the psalmist. Um, he essentially asking the, what, the question of trust. If if life is hard, then 
um, how can we trust God? And, and the answer was found that, well, God is powerful, God is creator, he, he cares, he knows, and we can trust him, right? Um, Mark also reminded us that um, in, in the Songs of Ascent, uh, there's a kind of a pattern that works with the Psalms. It's, it's like a, it happens in triplets. Um, life happens, it's hard, uh, and there's a solution. Uh, God comes in that we can trust him, and then there's an outflow from that. And today's Psalm is one, Psalm 122, right, right after 1 Psalm 21. Um, if you can do your math, that's where we're at. Um, essentially, it follows this progression of thought. Um, if God is our creator, if he's protector, um, if we trust him, now what? Now what? What do we, what do we look forward to? I think well, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we all struggle in life a little bit. And, and for us Christians, we trust God, but sometimes we're thinking we're left like, now, now what? The Christian life is very much like this, and if, I want to, if we just want a real talk for a sec, I don't know about you, but I, I personally feel like I'm still 2019. Anyone still there, feel that as well? Get those vibes? Yes, I've got a few nods. Um, I still feel like it's 2019. Christmas was crazy for me. Uh, I was running around. The silly season was ridiculously silly this year. Um, I, found, I found personally, if, I was, if this is my soapbox for a second, sorry that you have to listen to my soapbox, but uh, I found life kind of hard like last year, especially towards the end. Um, and not hard in the sense that I was suffering or anything in particular, but um, I just felt like a clown juggling like six balls and being thrown like curve balls left, right, and center, and I can't even juggle like two balls at the same time. So that's what I felt like. And I said to myself, you know what, 2020, new year, new me, not new memes, but new me, right? And I thought like, you know, I'm going to hit that reset button. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick the devil in the face this year and hit the reset button. And I've really struggled to actually hit the, hit the reset button. I'm like, if I look at my calendar, I look at my budgets, I look at the cleanliness of my room, um, it's just pragmatic things like that, right? It's not, it's not, nothing has been reset at all. That's not to mention my, like my headspace and my spiritual disciplines and my, I, I wanted to increase my consistency in enjoying God's word and in prayer and stuff, but that just, that just hasn't happened. Um, well, it has happened a little bit, but not as much as I'd like it to, right? Um, and I, I really thank God that, uh, uh, that the worthiness of my life is not based on what I do, but it's all based on what he's done for me, right? And, but now that I know as a Christian, I've put my life in Jesus, i put my trust in him, now, now what? And you might be thinking the same kind of thing. Maybe you're like me. You, you, you feel like you've been caught on the back foot of 20, at the start of 2020. Or, or maybe you're actually really, really struggling with like the, in, the intricacies of life and stuff. Um, and regardless of what season you're in at the moment, um, if you're a Christian, if we've trusted God, now what? In the midst of our circumstances, if we trust God, what do we look forward to? And this is where I think Psalm 122 comes in. Um, if, you, if you listened to Nick when he was reading through Psalm 122, it was all about Jerusalem. And you might be thinking, what the heck does that have to do with my life? Well, let's pray and let's figure that out. Hey? Let's see what God has for us. Let's pray together. Um, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your scripture that it is, uh, it is the words of life. Help us glean knowledge of you today. Knowledge that just isn't just going to fill up our heads, but help that transform our hearts, incline our hearts toward you today. 
Help us discern what you would have for us. Help us treasure you, treasure your word. Help us treasure Jesus. Convict us, encourage us, I pray. Motivate us to live as your people. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And pray this all in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Cool. Well, before we get into Psalm 122 today, um, there's a couple of details I I think you need to know about Psalm 122. Um, Psalm 122 was written, was described to a guy named King David. You might have heard of him. Um, It was written by him. He he wrote it probably in anticipation for pilgrims when they were journeying journeying towards Jerusalem. You see, if you know anything about the biblical history of Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem was a city that was uh, conquered by King David in about 1004 B.C., and um, he is, David established it as the religious and the political kind of capital of God's people. Um, God, uh, did, no, sorry, King David wanted to build a, a temple there. And the temple was really important because that's essentially where God's presence kind of dwelled. Um, and, but he, he was instructed God, by God not to do that. In fact, his son, King Solomon, actually does that. Um, but... As a result, King David spends lots and lots of time planning the, the temple, planning the city, um, and he, he had it all in his mind's eye. And so like, previous, like previous, in previous sermons, um, regarding the songs of ascent here, pilgrims would sing these songs on the way to Jerusalem for the three kind of annual Jewish festivals. Uh, you have Passover, the Festival of Weeks, and the Festival of Tabernacles. And in the case of Psalm 122, um, they would potentially even sing the, this particular psalm on their way up, on the steps towards Jerusalem, on the steps towards the temple. And now you're wondering, what is, this, what is a song about Jerusalem have to do with anything for us. You might be thinking, why are they singing about the city of Jerusalem? Is it like, is it kind of like Frank Sinatra, New York, New York? Is that, is that the deal with that kind of there? Well, actually, it, it kind of is. It actually, believe it or not, it actually kind of is. I mean, like, Dave, are you saying that Dave, King David was like Frank Sinatra? Kind of not. Well, King David played the harp, but you wouldn't, tell, you wouldn't make fun of him because he would rip your face off because he could fight bears and stuff. But at, anyway, New York. Has anyone actually been to New York? I've got a few hands. Got a few hands. Who would love to go to New York? Okay, that's probably pretty 70% of us. That's that's pretty, that's pretty good. Um, I don't know if about you, but traveling costs money, especially when you go to if you want to go to New York. Um, it costs a lot of money there. Flying there is about like a 24, 26-hour trip, depending on which uh, like flight route you do. Um, and as a millennial. Um, I've, I've noticed this thing with my millennial friends. There's this, there's this travel bug. Everyone's, if you're a millennial, you just want to travel, right? You just want to get out there. And I think travel is, I, I, it's deemed as the cool thing, and I, I get that. I, I personally haven't been caught by that, haven't been, that bug, been bitten by that bug, but I understand that. I think that millennials, when they, especially in Adelaide here, man, Adelaide, people think that Adelaide is such a big country town. You know what I'm talking about? Um, like, it's not Melbourne or Sydney, it's Adelaide. <laughs> they just want to get out of here, right? Um, they want to see like New York or London or Tokyo or Singapore or Paris or Berlin or Dubai, something like that, right? And, and, and you ask them, especially if these millennials come back and you ask them, man, what, what, was good about, what was good about New York City? What was good about London? What was good about Singapore? They would say, man, it's just better. 
It, I would just say, it's better. It's, it's the energy. It's the vibe. You know what I mean? You've heard this before? It's the vibe. And in the last few years for me, I've, been, like, I've had the privilege to actually go to a couple of these places like New York, LA, Singapore. And at the, at the time, like, when, I, when I would hear people talk about the vibe and stuff, I'm like, man, this is a load of crockery. Like, this is n- like you, you're, talking out of, you're talking out of your behind. Right? That, 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 there's no such thing as the vibe. But when I was in Singapore, I didn't realize that I did the same thing. Um, I was looking, uh, if you know me, I'm a failed vlogger, like I want to vlog, but I suck at vlogging, but my camera does this weird thing where it actually takes photos of you, and I was looking through it, um, photos of you automatically when you're vlogging, and I was looking through it, and you can see my face here, it's just just lit up, and I was just in the train station in (laughs) Singapore, I didn't even realize this was my face, but you can see it's just like, it's just lit up. and you can just see my reaction. Um, and in retrospection, I think there is, there is something enticing about cities. There's something, it's the energy, it's the vibe. You've got to do it, man. <laughs> um, and if you're, a, if you're a millennial, you've definitely got this, you've definitely got those basic white girl friends who are like, they just, oh, I just left my heart in London. I'm like, oh my gosh. That, but that's actually a thing. But if a busy, energetic city has the power to draw out an emotional response like that. You can understand why David was singing about, oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem. And it has way more to do with it being the political and economic capital of Jerusalem. And certainly it was much more deeper than just leaving his heart there. You see, in the days of King David, and by extension, the days of God's people in that time. They've been longing for a temple to be built so they could worship in the presence of God. The significance of the three annual Jewish festivals cannot be understated. This is what you live for. So when you read this song, when you read this psalm about going to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, you can feel the excitement in David's voice. You might go to New York for the vibe. For me, it was bagels and Tim Keller. But Jews went to Jerusalem to give thanks to God amidst the dwelling presence of his Shekinah glory. That is, his glory made manifest. That's why in verse 1 it starts off with, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. If you're a Jew, why wouldn't you be, why wouldn't you be rejoicing and glad? The pilgrims were going into the temple, the, the temple, the dwelling place of the presence of God, the place where God said he would be with them. And it continues in verse 2 with the realization that they have arrived Jerusalem, we are here. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. It's kind of like that moment where you step off the plane well, of the, in, the, in the city that you've been so eagerly waiting to visit. You're just standing on this. Imagine this. You're standing on the city outskirts. You've traveled days and days and days to get there. You have blisters on your feet. Your feet are so dirty. You want water. And there you see it. You're on the edge of the city. 
You can feel like King David was on that hype train. The anticipation was real. You could, you could imagine just standing inside the gates and he's like, yo, I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's go. It was, he was so eager. And then in the, if we can continue in the rest of the song, verses 3 and 4, it says this, Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. Just visualize this for yourself. It's closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. Again, when you think of great cities, have you just looked around and marveled at the buildings? Just look at them. Just see the city skyline? When you see the evening sun just crack through the middle in between the buildings, between the gaps of the buildings, King David gives us this image of a, a city closely packed, tightly knitted together. The ESV, I, I believe it translates it more accurately in, verses, in verse 3, it says this, Jerusalem built as a city that was bound firmly together. Interesting, the word for this bound is it's closely related to the word companion. And what King David here is drawing us a picture of companionship, of unity, not just of the city, but of all the different people that are coming around into it, of all the tribes of Israel coming together. Can you imagine, if you were an Israelite, what this would do to the hearts and minds of those who are reading it? Psalm 122 is reminding them that the place they were going to give thanks and worship to God was also going to be filled with other people who were there to worship God as well. And for, for King David, he, this guy was passionate about God's law. He meditated on God's law day and night. He delighted in God's law. And he wanted to, pilgrims to be reminded that what they were doing, what they were doing in, in going to Jerusalem was actually in line with what God had asked them to do. They could delight in honoring God. And it goes on in verse 5 saying this. There, there stand thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Not only were the pilgrims going to the place where God was dwelling, but they were going to the place where justice was being carried out. Now, if you're an Israelite reading this, this meant a few things. Uh, it, doesn't, it highlights not only the relationship between worship and justice and acting justly, but this psalm is reminding you of the king. David is reminding, king David is reminding you of the king who will ultimately sit on that throne and has, has delegated authority for justice to be carried out. All justice is carried out through Jesus. And so far, so far in this psalm in particular, King David has given us this picture of Jerusalem and if you were reading this as an Israelite, you would be filled with gladness and hope. Jerusalem was the place you wanted to go because it was the place where God was. And that's where the people came together to be united as God's people. So to make sure that Jerusalem would be around for more people, more of God's people in the future to, to, to worship him, 
King David finishes off the psalm with a prayer. In verses six and seven, he says this. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love Jerusalem May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. All the things that make a city thrive, peace, freedom, security, justice. King David prays that this, there will be a, he, he prays for the future of the city, that they would, that city would have these things so that, so that more people would be able to come and worship God. But he doesn't just end in this particular prayer. He follows through with promises of action in verses 8 and 9. It says this. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of, our, of, the, of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Pilgrims singing this were reminded to help their, their family and their friends to find peace. And peace is not just, this, when it says peace here, it's not just this generic idea of calmness or zen. Peace here is, 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 is translated as shalom. Shalom is this, is this sense, it's this multi, uh, multi-dimensional uh, sense of like well-being that's made up not just of your physical well-being, but also your psychological, your social, your spiritual well-being. It's, it connotes like wholeness and completeness, and, and all of this flows out from one's right relationship made right first and foremost with God, and then within themselves and with others. This is the kind of peace that David was wanting his pilgrims to, to, to have uh, for, his friends, for their friends and family. The pilgrims were also reminded for the, sake of, for the sake of God to seek the goodness and the thriving of the people of Jerusalem. And they were to do this in all they thought, they said, and they behaved. You might be thinking, what? <laughs> okay, cool, now we've gone through the text. How does this apply to me? You might have noticed that we're not in a temple. We're at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Adelaide. We're not in Jerusalem. What are we meant to do with all this? You, you might be thinking, Tran, you started off with like, okay, life is hard. We can trust God. There's a flaw in effect from that. Now what? I don't see how this kind of connects. I think... We don't, some of us might not see the connection here because we don't understand. Well, I think we need to understand what the whole point of Jerusalem and the temple, what happens with Jerusalem and the temple. If you know your Bible history, again, we'll go back to a bit more history. Um, Jerusalem was then taken over. Jerusalem was taken and the temple was eventually destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC. And uh, the, 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 uh, God's people get exiled into ba- uh, Babylon, and they eventually come back. But they, and they, 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 re- they rebuild the temple again, but then the Romans come along and they take over Jerusalem. And in 70 CE, they destroy the temple. Um, and you might be thinking, cool, but w- what does that mean? Well, I think for us, as Christians, there's actually something that happens in the middle there that's really, really important. Super, super foundation for us. You see, the, again, what was the purpose of the temple? The temple was the place where God's presence dwelled. The, the temple was the place where God's presence dwelled. And even though the temple was destroyed and rebuilt, it was ultimately made corrupt. 
But God, from the beginning of time, he knew that he had to come in another way to dwell with his people. And that leads us to a reading in John 2, 18 to 22. It says this. The Jews then responded to him, him being Jesus, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. If you're not familiar with this passage, this passage is taken out from the little bit called, um, um, it's taken out from the little story in John where Jesus cleanses out the temple. You might remember that people were making a mockery of the temple and Jesus comes in and he's like, no, I'm not having this, flips over a whole stack of tables and whips a couple of fools. But in this passage here, Jesus reveals something about himself here. As I said before, the temple was the place where God dwelt with his people. But in God's redemptive plan, God decided to dwell with his people through Jesus. Jesus is the true temple. And through Jesus, God dwells with his people. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And by extension, us Christians, when we're counted as in Christ, in the body of Christ, we become kind of like mini temples. In 1 Peter 2, it says that we are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house with Jesus as our chief cornerstone. And more than that, God's presence dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, it says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. This has huge ramifications for us, not just in this psalm, but all of Christian life. However, with this in mind, in regards to Psalm 122, this gives us three kind of applications from it. And the first thing I really want to talk about, I think, is that we should meet gladly as the body. Remember how King David reacted when someone said to him, let us go to the house of the Lord? How did he react? He reacted, he rejoiced, he was glad, he was, his, he, he was consumed with zeal for the Lord. And David, he didn't envision pilgrims going on their own. It's, it, the text says, someone said to him, let us, let us together, that's plural, right? Pilgrims didn't go to Jerusalem on their own. They certainly didn't go to worship God alone. And as for us, as pilgrims in this life, the, one, of the, one of the graces that God has had on you, if you are a Christian, is that once you've been saved, you don't do life alone. Yes, you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, but God has given you his people, it is not possible to do life alone. It is not possible to, be, like, to, 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 to do life without God's people. You aren't the Christian Luke Skywalker all alone with the Holy Spirit Yoda and the Dagobah system, right? That's not, like, we are reconciled by God's blood 
um, by Jesus' blood towards God, but he also reconciles us to each other. The pilgrims sang this psalm and they rejoiced because they saw when they saw God's work in their life and they come across another pilgrim who's, who, who, who had God's, um, but they were celebrating God's work in their life, they could do that together. And they could worship God for his kindness and for his mercy and they could do that collectively. They loved together because God was worthy of all of the, all of the praise, all of the glory, all of the honour. And as Christians... We have received the immeasurable, unfathomable, undeserved favor from God. We've received riches from God's grace, not just in the forgiveness of our sins, but every good gift that we have is from God. Every good gift. Not to mention Ephesians 1, it says that we, in the heavenly realm, every, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. I don't even know what that is, but that sounds sick. We'll find out one day. And all of us Christians have that. We have so much to be thankful for. And, we, and our collective praise, we should really praise God collectively. Not to mention that in Matthew 18, 20, it says, when two or more gathered in my name, I am with them. Yes, the Spirit lives in us, but there's something special when God meets. No, no, but there's something special when God's people meet. When we meet, we are the physical manifestation of Christ's body. In Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, it says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another to, do, to love and... Um, let, us, let, sorry, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as the day draws near. When we gladly meet, worshipping together, God together, giving thanks together, we are actually built up. We, our hearts are stirred towards Him. We are encouraged to live for Him. We are reminded collectively of our value in Christ. Now, I just want to say, I know that some of us, probably at least a few of us here, struggle with the idea of meeting with other Christians, gathering with other Christians. Some of us dread the, the gathering, especially this corporate gathering or the Sunday gathering, or maybe even DG. And because me telling you to rejoice in gathering with other Christians, it seems like a burden to you. And if this is you, if this is you, I know there's lots of factors that are probably involved, but I want to just address just two main ones that I've thought of. The first kind of factor I've kind of thought of is maybe we struggle to gladly gather because we feel like if I was to be glad, I'd be fake, or I'm just not feeling happy about gathering. Now, gladness and rejoicing in God, they aren't necessarily emotive responses. Now, it can certainly involve emotion, but emotion is an expression of attitude. Rather, here in this song of ascent, it's actually talking about the posture of our hearts towards God and his people. You may struggle with your emotions. You might not be sure what to feel, and that's okay. 
My question to you, though, my question to you, if this is you, you struggle to gladly be with God's people, my question is, how thankful are you to God for all that he has done for you? Does that thankfulness drive you towards living your life open-handedly to, all, to, to God's will? Does your thankfulness drive you to live a, a life lived as worship? Are you living in a way that honours God, not because you're trying to earn his love, but because you already have it? Something to, something to think about. Maybe your love for God has cooled off. And let me encourage you, if this is you, remember what, what was it like before you met Jesus? What was it like to be separated from God? Remind yourself that of the cost that God took to redeem you. And I'm not trying to guilt trip you here. But I want to remind you of the eternal love that God has for you. As Jacko would say, God is so glorious and amazing because he bankrupted the treasury of heaven for you. And he's given you people to do life with, reminding you that you aren't alone in this. And if you're feeling like, man, I'm not feeling thankful, but I want to be. I would encourage you, ask God, ask the Spirit to open your, the reality of your eye, the eyes to the reality of your sin. Ask God to break your heart of stone and to give, replace it with a heart of flesh, inclined towards him. Ask him for regeneration of your soul, for peace, for shalom. The second reason why we might find that rejoicing with other Christians is, it might be a burden is because we feel like when we're around other Christians, we might not feel like we're good enough. Church, I can't be in a church environment because I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not good enough. And I, I've heard stories of people before coming in and saying, like, man, I can't go to church. I feel like if I go to church, I, either the, the, the church is going to burn down or I'm going to get lit up. <laughs> you might, I've heard people say, like, you don't know what I've done, Andrew. You don't know... And truth be told, I probably don't know what you've done. But you know what? When we read this psalm, it was written by King David. And that should give us great hope. Because as much as David was a man after God's own heart, a man who delighted in the law of God, a man who was a great king and a great ruler who brought much wealth and prosperity to the nation of Israel, he was a deeply flawed man. You think you can't approach God because of your sin? Yes, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that you, you haven't sinned. I'm not saying that you haven't potentially caused grievous harm or, or hurt to people. But my guess is that you haven't slept with a, a woman and then tried to murder her, her husband in order to cover up a pregnancy. And if that, I say that rhetorically, but if that is you, there is grace for you here too. King David was a sinful person just like you and me. And yet he gladly approached the throne of God because he knew that God was the one that saved him and redeemed him. It wasn't his works, it was all God. 
The gospel is the great leveler. We are all born sinners. No one here is better than anyone else. And yes, we are growing in our, each, of, each and every one of us are growing in maturity in our faith, but it's the opinion of God that counts, not the opinion of others. And if you're in Christ, God sees you as perfect, blameless, and spotless. Tim Keller has a great quote. He says this, um, The church is a hospital for sinners where triage happens, not a museum for saints. If you're in Christ, you can gladly meet with his people because we're all the same. And if you're here tonight and you aren't a Christian, I'm, so, I'm really glad that you're here. Because we know that we, none of us are better than each other. But it is, it is the gift of grace that gives us infinite value, the Christians infinite value in God's eyes. And that offer is on here tonight for you. I urge you, if you're not a Christian, God can see you as perfect and blameless and spotless. That gift is up for you tonight. Receive it with, and receive wholeness. Receive completion. Receive peace with God, yourself, and others. That's on for you tonight. Have a think about that, please. If you want to chat, I'd love to chat at the end. Oh, kind of next application. Um, now that we've trusted God, um, the next application in this psalm is to, to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Now, it goes without saying, if, you were all, if we, we are going to the house of the Lord, we should probably believe the same thing, right? Um, but unity of the Spirit isn't just a merely a theological kind of agreement. Um, as mentioned earlier in verses 3 and 4, um, you see these themes of compassion and unity and, and, um, amongst God's people. And God's, not just God's people, but, but think about it. They were, they were the different tribes. They were different peoples. And that should be the same with us, right? Think about this. If, if we're in Christ and we're all temples of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit lives in all of us. That unites us. The blood of Jesus unites us, but the, the, the indwelling Spirit of God lives within us. That unites us as well. The same Holy Spirit that lives in you lives in me. In Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, it says this, I, Paul, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that, was, that belongs to uh, your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It is saying because of the indwelling spirit, we, we have unity, but we, it instructs us, instructs us that we must maintain the unity. Revelation 7, 9 to 10, it's a great image of what the future looks like. It says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is where we're headed. 
tribes, tongues, nations, everyone from people from all different people groups. The church is designed to be a multicultural, multilingual, multi socioeconomic entity that is unlike anything in the world. It is filled with different people, different opinions, different preferences, and undoubtedly there will be clashes in the church, especially because we're sinful people. But the church was also created to have a unity of the Spirit. And the way we treat each other, the way we love each other in the church is a demonstration of that unity. That it, that is, it's a demonstration of that unity. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be best friends with everyone at church. It doesn't mean that you have to have the same political opinions as someone in the church. But whether you like it or not, you have more in common with your fellow Christian who might have, who you might abhor their politics. You have more in common with that person than the person who's your best mate, who shares the same ideologies as you, but is not Christian. And because we are united by the Spirit, through our differences and our conflicts, it is the Spirit that enables us to walk in all humility, in gentleness, and with patience, bearing with one another in love. The Spirit allows that. And I've only talked, I've only just mentioned politics once, but this could apply to broken friendships in church. It could apply to the Christian friend who backstabbed you. It could, it could apply to uh, Christians in the church who have lied to you or gossiped about you or grievously hurt you. As recipients of God's grace, the, by the Spirit's power, we are now dispensers of God's grace. As, res, as recipients of His grace, we are now dispensers Let's maintain the unity of the Spirit. And lastly, um, this ties in with our last kind of application in the psalm. It says here, um, to seek the good of his church. To seek the good of his church. Now, if you're new here and you might be thinking, like, this point sounds a little bit self-serving, Andrew. You're wanting people to seek the good of your church. You probably just want us here. You probably just want your numbers boosted. You just want more tithing money. You probably want more time. And to some degree, that's actually very true. I actually do want those things. But I, I would say, I would actually, in fact, argue that the bat bar is actually very low. Time and money, that's just the, that's the tip of the iceberg. That's just the beginning. What I want for you is for your life to be so radically transformed by the love of God that you are willing to have every facet and every asset in your life open. Open to what? to the Lord your God in glad surrender to his rule and reign. Every facet, every asset of your life. I want you to want those things. Not, not for us, not for the church, not for this North, North City like Church North Adelaide, but ultimately for the purposes of the glory of God. You see, the church is God's primary strategy for reaching those who don't know him. We are God's plan A. Well, Jesus was, and then he chose to use us. We are God's primary strategy. The church is how people will know who God is. People need to know who God is so they can be in right relationship with him and worship him. 
and a healthy church, a church that's in a good position, that leads to mission. And to quote John Piper, missions exist because worship doesn't. We must pray for the good of the church, that she may be all that she was meant to be. But we must not only pray that the church be a refuge of love for the lost, the broken, and the hurting, but we must be willing to do all we can to be that. That's a hard call. That's going to hurt. That's going to cost. That's going to be sacrificial. But when we consider everything in this world as loss, and we consider that Jesus is sufficient, that he is enough, we will grow in our ability to seek the good of his church. Now, realistically, I'm not expecting this to happen overnight. I'm not expecting this heart change to happen overnight. I dare say it's happening to myself and all the elders and everyone here in our discipleship groups as well. It's going to be a lifelong struggle for us to give everything up to God. But notice how the last stanza in the psalm, in verse 6, it starts off with a prayer. Prayer is not just, it's not just working in conjunction with God, but it actually changes to a dis, a dis, a changes the disposition of our hearts. At least it changes in how we act and how we live and how we seek the good of God's people. And in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus tells Peter that I, on, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's, he, Jesus speaks of the unstoppable nature of God's church because Jesus, yes, absolutely, Jesus is absolutely in charge of it. But we are all called to participate in that work, to contribute to the health of the church by praying earnestly for it and to sacrifice deeply for her. To pray earnestly for her and to sacrifice deeply for her. What we learn from this song of ascent is how to respond to God's goodness. And it's all burst out of a deep-seated joy that is only found in Jesus. So even though, yes, life is hard, I get it, Jesus has given us plenty of reason to trust him. And as for us Christians today, even though we don't have to go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship God, the words of this ascent still ring true for us today. We have the privilege of having evidence that God has become man he, through Jesus and he has dwelled with man with, through him. But we also have the privilege that God is actually dwelling in us through his spirit. So no matter what season of life you're in at the moment, God has given us plenty of reason to be joyful, with him, uh, joyful in him as, his, as a people. He's given us other Christians to do life with. And for his glory's sake and for our joy, he has given us a mission to participate in. This is the church. Let's pray and give thanks for the gift of his son, whom through all of this is possible. Let's pray. 
Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the gift of your indwelling spirit. Lord, we thank you for the gift of each other. You have left us to our own devices, but you have given us everything we need. You've called us to be light in this world. Help us to shine like you, Lord Jesus. Help us to be like you. Help us to um, give up our idols. Help us to let go of the things that we hold most dear to you that aren't dear to us that aren't you. Help us to trust you in the midst of our life's difficulties. We know that you are a good God and we can trust you um, no matter the circumstance because you gave us Jesus. You showed your love for us in Jesus. Help, that, help Jesus be the, the primary reason why we do anything and everything in this life. Be with us. Comfort us with your spirit. Help us to love each other well. When people see us love each other, I pray that you, um, that when people see that, they actually see that something that, that something out of this world, something that is different, something that is, um, that is that belongs to you, and may that draw people to give glory to your name. And we thank you for your church. That we have been called to it that we've been called to you, that we've, but we've also been called to each other. Help us to live for eternity today. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church.